Rick alcoholic. Uh, thank you, Liz. So, uh, you know, I come with a warning label. I, uh, you've taught me a lot here. And uh, the biggest uh, thing that's occurred for me uh, through doing what you do is uh, I have an emotion and uh, you see it. So um, when I speak, I get emotional because you have really, you know, moved me, touched me, opened my heart, given me so much, you know, that uh, this is the time I reflect on that, like, you know, where I came from and what happened to me and what I've learned here. And, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think of all those things. I just think about today and surrendering my will and my life over to care of God as I understand God. And, and, uh, I, I have a tendency to look more in my life where I am and where I'm going than looking back. And this is one of the few times I get to, uh, feel it. So we'll say that. So with that, um, I think the, you know, one thing, my sobriety date is January 28th, 1981. My, my sponsor is Luther W. He's in, uh, out by, uh, Palm Desert in California. I lived in California for quite a while in LA and the Southern Cal and, we were in L.A. together, and my sponsor before that was Clint Hodges, who died. And uh, his tapes are – both of their tapes are probably over there. And um, I got sober here in Cincinnati, 405 Oak Street. And um, I was asked to speak – you know, and um, I used to circuit speak in my late teens and early 20s. And at 22 years sober, I stopped. And I uh, haven't done it ever since. And uh, when I was asked here in Cincy to speak at this convention, I said yes. I said yes before it came out, before I realized it, <laughs> and, which happens to us. And uh, I prefer to be overdoing the coffee than speaking, but... Um, but Cincinnati AA, you know, where, where does AA do it right? You know, wherever you got sober, Cincinnati AA is where I got sober. They do it right, you know, and I've learned other, other places and and it's given me so much, you know, I came here the rawest I've ever been and, um, loved me till I could love myself. Right. And. I'll try to just give a snapshot. I don't want to get lost in certain segments, you know. I've had a lot of segments. Thank you for that in my life. I do. I've had a lot of epochs. I've changed a lot. I'm nothing, you know. What I noticed in here is that the the steps being implied in people's lives lives among our fellowship. I see it in you, you know. That's why you tell me stick with the winners, you know, and that that has changed, you know. Sometimes it was what you had and how you conducted yourself. And then later on in life, it was who you were being as you were conducting your life. And I found that if I work on that, the rest of my life works out, you know. And you're happy to teach me piece by piece, step by step, nuance by nuance, when I'm willing to hear what you have to say 
And depending how I grow and surrender, you could tell me the same thing for many years. And one day, bam, I hear it. But you've been telling me a long time. And, you know, sometimes I've learned to peek up my ears a little more and uh, practice it quicker, you know. And um, I started learning that right here in, the, in these rooms in this area. And I'm forever grateful. And I guess I'm just saying all that for this point. If it wasn't for the structure of AA and all that what we do, I would have had no place to go. And neither would you. And sometimes I forget that. But it's 29 years that people have been doing this for this space. And there's many spaces like this around the world. And uh, I don't want to forget that because I need a place to go for someone who suffers like me. You know? I need hope. You know? Desperately. I'm I'm an alcoholic, a real alcoholic, you know, and and I'll give you just a glimpse of how it was. I used to say there were good times in my drinking than bad, but I really can't say that. I don't know if there was ever a time I drank in in whatever form that if I played my tape of the night all the way through, it wasn't a disaster. <laughs> that I didn't wake up shameful. And as I drank longer, my shame got bigger. You know? Even when, you know, and I probably started at 10, 11 years old, maybe early, I don't know. It really doesn't matter, you know? And uh, I had a phenomenon of craving that it would always hide. So I just always drank till I was drunk. And because I was always drunk, not good things happened, and I was a blackout drinker from the start. So I never knew what happened, and I would always, you know, I'm, I started young. I got sober right before my 21st birthday. So, you know, I'd go to school, right? And, and I don't know what I did, you know, so I'd walk in there full of fear about how people were going to look at me and do, and that's how I lived. And, and I found out you, you talked that way too. You know, and I had never met anybody like that till I came here. That you had these things I had. And I really did not know till I came here that it was a disease, that I, this, it was a phenomenon of craving. I thought it, it was, I thought something else was going on with me. But that was not the case. And, you know, how my childhood was and all that, I know we talk about all that. None of that really has to do with why I'm in AA, just my, my obsession on the mind, my phenomenon of drinking is why I'm here. A lot of that story for me and what I listen in you is it tells me and has me share with you what I developed over time that end up being my character defects that I have to surrender. It's all these surviving mechanisms that I had till I came here and maybe hold on while I'm here. And it unfolds over time as I surrender, right? And um, 
but that's, I don't know, for you. It looks easier for you, but it's hard. <laughs> and I, th- I think we all feel that way. Like, why are they getting it and I'm not, you know? But, you know, it's part of it, right? Like, being in that crush of, I want it to happen to me sooner. I want to get better faster. You know, I think it's part of what we all go through, you know? And, uh, and I think our humor, or what helps me with it, you taught, is just wear it loosely, you know, wear it loosely, you know, look at gratitude for today and, you know, just keep doing what we do. It'll all work out. Now, the thing is, if I don't do what you do, like work the steps and actually apply them in my life, um, I have real experience of not taking a drink and being even more miserable and more ashamed than when I took a drink. And just because I stopped drinking doesn't mean I'm not full of character defects. And I had horrible character defects when I came. You know, so I was so so ashamed of him. I, a lot of times I wouldn't tell my whole story because I did not want it, you to know the type of man I was before I came here. I was too ashamed of it. And I don't like people relating to me for who I was, and I'm not that man anymore. You know, but sometimes I tell my story, some people react to kind of where I came from than who I am today, which I'm not even who I was at 30 years sober. I'm not, I'm not that man at all. And I would have gave everything I had in my life to be that man. But I'm not that man anymore. I'm more surrendered. And um, so I'll just say this to give you a snapshot. I was a very effeminate, loving, kind of felt one with the world, saw beauty and everything when I kind of started life. That's kind of how I was. Uh, my favorite thing for Christmas was uh, Susie Homemaker Oven. You guys remember that? You, all the girls had them, and you had a little light bulb in there, and you bake. That was me. I loved it. And I loved painting. My mom was a painter. I loved painting. I, I, that's how I was. But I kind of realized like that I couldn't be like that without getting ridiculed, so I changed, you know. And I was very angry uh, over time and changed and found alcohol and, you know, kind of drank myself away. And, you know, from that time to right before I came in here, I couldn't stop drinking. I was always blacked out and I was... Uh, an enforcer for criminals. That's what I was. That's a long way to go from 5 to 20. You know? And I drank out away everything in my life in that time. Every girlfriend, every good relationship. I drank away my college football scholarship. I drank away my health. I drank it all away. Every single thing. And a lot of you have too. I just was like a Roman candle. I just blew out hard and fast and just fizzled out right into the dust. And there's lots of crazy stories around there. Some of you heard me talk about them, but I'm not going to talk about any of that today. But you get the point, right? And when I came in here, I came in out of a blackout. I started drinking right before Christmas. I was downtown here, and I woke up on a beach. I didn't know where I was. Um, 
I used to have a van. I used to carry multiple weapons with me because I used those. And I was too afraid not to, you know, I couldn't live life without, I couldn't live life like you live life. I was too scared. I just couldn't do it. And uh, all my weapons were gone. I was like, what's going on? And I actually walked and there used to be newspaper stands. And it was January 28, 1981, and I was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I had no intention of getting sober. I was going to wait till that night, kind of do what I do, get another roll going, and just keep going. But it didn't happen. I got in my van. I couldn't get out of there. I got frozen. I had a moment of shame. So big I was frozen of how my life was. I couldn't get out of there. Out, except like in the middle of the night, I would go and get some water, and I would eat out of the garbage can outside of uh, behind McDonald's. Uh, and... It was like that for from January to almost March. And uh, here in Cincy, all my family, you know, people have given up me a long time except my mother, you know. And um, everybody kept telling my mom, you know, they just felt like the people that I worked for, you know, I was too out of control and loose lips sink ships. People thought that they murdered me and put me in the river. That's where everybody said I was for sure. And my mom was like, yeah, I know he's alive somewhere. And uh, a thing I didn't know at that time is every day, she's a good little Catholic. I'll do, okay. The Catholic part. So she'd go to church, see the priest. You know, she'd light a candle every day for me. And at night, she'd pray to a star, a very bright star in the sky. And uh, about three months into that, you know, I knew I was dying in there because I'm not eating. And I went in there about 270 pounds with a 32-inch waist. I came out of there at 139 pounds. And uh, I saw a star through the sunroof of my van. And I got up and I walked to a pain phone and I called home. And they came and got me. They took me to a hospital there. And uh, first time I saw my dad cry was when he saw me. Last time I saw my dad cry as I helped him die of cancer. Many, many years later, sober man. I hugged him like a baby. And he thanked me for everything I did for him. And you taught me how to live that way. And that was a man, him and I never got along because I was so out of control and he was trying to keep me together. And I came here to you and I had a lot to say about how miserable my dad was. So you taught me like sometimes people react after you step on their feet. And that was him. And he did the best he could. You know, but alcoholism, there's only, I only know one power great enough to handle it. And my dad did not have that power. So, and my dad had to tell my mom, you know, that the doctor said I wasn't going to live, that I would die in, in there. I was too far gone. And my mom said, you just bring them out. And a little while later, I walked out of there, came here, back to Cincy. And they gave me a choice, you know, they had money for a scholarship. You know, I got my scholarship, so I had money for college. I could use it for that or go to a treatment center. And I went to a treatment center, and the treatment center introduced me to AA. 
and I went to 405 Oak in the druggy buggy. Right? And you saved my life. And like many people, I, you know, when I got out, I stayed at Oak Street all day, went to meetings all day long. I'm unemployed. I can't even read, really. You know, I can't. I would act like I'm reading at 405 Oak, and one day someone turned the paper around. <laughs> you know? That's me, right? That's how I got here. And the problem is, is, you know, I came here like a rock. You know, I didn't feel anything. I felt just two feelings, rage and lust. You know, that's, you know, anything in between. I was, I, my, the point was to numb, numb it out, to live. So my whole journey here, if I had to say anything, has been about vulnerability and surrender. You know, if I had to say it, I, you know, I have a lot of ins and outs. But in the end, the lesson is vulnerability and surrender to do it another way. You know, which requires, you know, a lot of open-mindedness. And, you know, I've learned that in a lot of different ways. You know, I've gotten better at it through the years. Um, you know, but when I first came, I was not that way. And I'll give you another little snapshot so, you know, I did my thing, and I, here's how I got here. I'm hard as a rock, but inside, I'm shot through with loneliness. Like, shot through. Like, not a moment of the day don't I feel fully lonely all the way through my torso, no matter what's going on. And it was just excruciating for me. And some of you know that type of loneliness. And I had a fear a little less than that, but raged in me, this fear. And uh, without a drink, that's a tough combo. I'm just not comfortable in my skin ever. And it was, you know, tough going for me. And I had no self-esteem, even though outside I had a lot of bravado, you know. And I have no coping skills. I'm a thug, you know, so my best behavior is horrible, right? I'm menacing, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm not really that. I'm not built to be a productive member of society. I'm built to survive something else, which we don't have to get into, but I'm built to survive. And I, you know, my cup of tea is, you know, menacing and violent, you know, so you know, I, I don't have any social graces. You know, I, I when I talked, I how many more? Thirty. Thank you. She's going to do that, and the rest of you can raise your hand too. I want to actually get to something. You know, I don't want to get stuck being a thug. That's not. I don't go to AA to be. You know, we're all thugs and sinners and whores, and you know. <laughs> You're my people. <laughs> you are, man. Because you don't judge me. I've said I could say that all the stuff I've done to you, and you'll do this, and some of you are doing it with you. Yeah, I get that, man. Yeah, I'm a whore. I'm good. Oh, yeah. You know. I love you, too, you know, for tonight. And uh, off we go. That's another story I, I may get into today because it's the morning. We're prepping for Al-Anon, so we might. 
And I'm a good member of Al-Anon for many decades. So, you know, that's another thing. So, um, I'm like some of us. And, and it's all meant to be, right? Everything's meant to be. But I just felt so useless. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I fell back in a, a version of my old life, sober. You know, I started bouncing back in bars and I became a bodyguard for entertainers. And, you know, I thought I would, you know, in one way I thought I was improving, you know, because I was on the right side of the law. I really felt like that. I did get esteem from it, but I knew I shouldn't be doing it. You know, I, I couldn't live that life no matter what side I was on. And, and, um, you know, I just got sicker and Pete, my sponsor would come and tell me, don't do that. You know, just, Stick with us. But I just, I felt like I couldn't do anything else. It was the only thing I was good at. And, um, you know, and I knew when I was doing it, and you probably can relate to that, like being sober and knowing you shouldn't have certain behavior and you do it day in and day out, it's crushing. Man, crushing. And I was just not drinking, getting worse and worse and worse. And I'll just give you the end point in that even though you know i changed a lot but i spent my fourth year of sobriety in the penitentiary for what i did sober some people said that's an improvement i am definitely a human being if i got what i deserved and not grace i would be in the penitentiary for life or some i would have been convicted and, and uh, executed uh, for sure, that's what I deserve for the things I've done in my life. But a haste full of grace, and i here with you, free. It's crazy, isn't it? So I realized that, that one day I'm drinking and another day I'm not, and I didn't really do anything. A grace happened to me. I moved back here. And some people don't get this grace, and we talk about that. You know, I got out, I knew grace, and Liz's son didn't make it. You know, I moved back here because all of us have moved except my sister, and her and I used to go to meetings here and all that. And a year and a half ago, she died of fentanyl overdose. It's just. rips through, you know, alcoholism, you know, I'm very aware how it rips through our lives, and I take it to heart, and I, you know, I show you, like, how it hurts me, and I used, I wasn't like that, I would blow it off, because it would, alcoholism scared me so much, like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, some make it, some don't, but I feel the impact of some make it, and some don't, and I know I'm very lucky to be with you. And uh, and she just didn't she just didn't make it. And at the funeral, it just killed my mother. My wife and I, because we're taught by you, we knew we had to come. And that day, we decided to come here because that's what you teach us. It doesn't matter if it's inconvenient; doesn't matter. And then we just had an intuitive thought. We came after the funeral. We found an apartment, and we moved. And that was 18 months ago. I didn't want to come here. 
It, you know, but it's what we do, right? We do that. And I've gotten a lot out of it. And that's, you know, what AA teaches me, you know. Now, here's the beauty of horrible things. You know, when I go, you know, I, I like Shane when he talked. He went for seven hours, right? I was like nine getting seven hours, you know, nine years, seven hours, get your parents. You know. So, you know, you know, when I go to prison, I'm always in lockup. I'm always in, you know, for behavior. You know, it's just how I am. So I'm always in solitary confinement. I, I, you know, they don't even want me with regular population. I'm just not that type of... I don't have social skills in prison either. I don't have them. So I'm in, you know, I'm in solitary confinement, blah, 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 and here's the long hand of AA. That's a very long hand of AA to get me in that van, you know, and pull me into here. And I'm in there all alone, you know, dry as a bone, four years sober, going, you know, uh, my mind's crazy, and I'm, I'm just, it's horrible. And, um, you know, I have a slot, metal door, I have a slot. I'm not in population. I have a little slot, and um, my food comes in. And one day, my food comes in, a thump hits. And it's a big book. <laughs> Nobody knows in there I'm in AA because, you know, I got there. I, got, I do my thing, and I, I go into lockup. So I'm like, how'd this come? But I, I was just praying in there for a solution. And I was remembering all you taught me. And I was just meditating, praying, reviewing my life. And, you know, I did a classic thing you say not to do too, which, are, you know, is when I did my four, first four-step, the thing I was scared of the most I didn't put on there and I didn't share it. How many, how many of us have you heard that? A lot of us go drink. A lot of us go crazy. I'm in, the, I'm in that second thing. But out of that, I found a power here in that cell. And I, I found a willingness that I said two things I'm powerless over. Alcohol and my rage. I can't keep my hands off of human beings. And I took a vow of nonviolence in there. They didn't know if I could keep I'd do one day at a time because I knew I'd never leave there. I knew it. I knew I'd either kill somebody, be there forever, or I'd get killed. It's just how I was. And, um, and I prayed, like I prayed to get sober, to not be a violent man with everything I had. And all that mattered is I had that screaming willingness for a defect of character to leave me. And by the time I left that, what Liz describes, I was that man. You know, when I left a little while later, I was a loving, gentle, caring man. Why? Because AA was in my penitentiary. And I did that fist step. You know? And I applied these principles while I was there. And I found a guy who had, who was the guy who put the book in there. He was a lifer for murder, and he was free. He had that look in his eye. He was one of the freest men I've ever met. Free. And I don't know about you, but from that day to this day, 
I've always wanted to feel that way, free. I want that light in my eye and that I don't want that constriction in my soul. I don't want to be shot through with fear and loneliness. I want to be lifted up like you you are with spirit and hope and love. And I was just willing to do what you were doing. And I found something there. That those people here lit up all they're doing. And if I want, they want. They're just practicing more than me. I am what I practice. And I'm always practicing something. I am what I practice. And so are you. And that's stick with the winners, right? Stick with the winners. And in that prison... I got, I just did what I didn't do is I worked. I applied it. I said all my deepest secrets. I started having contrary behavior. I sat on my hands when I wanted to kill somebody. You know, that's where you start. Don't kill them. You're a psycho. You might, you know, don't do it. You know, that's where I started. I, you know, you know, now I'm a love muffin. I hug everybody. I, you know, you know. I'm like you. You transform so much. You say your story. I'm like, I can't believe you. They were like that. And I'm like that. You know, people look at me today. They do that. My poor wife, when I used to come back here to visit and people knew me from then, people would literally shake when they saw me. Physically shake. It was horrible. It was so shameful. But that's the man I was. They just, their body would just freak out, you know, because I was just not a human. I wasn't even a human being, I don't think. So, you know, I walked out of there because I was willing to do it your way at a level that I've never done before. And if I've learned anything from that day to this day in the last few decades, is there's an edge, no matter how much I grow, expanding my spiritual life, is to continue to surrender like that on the edge. And not to lie to myself. Because many, many, many decades ago, I could have gotten over. I fit into society. You love me. I love you. So I could rest it on my laurels. But I've seen that. I've done it, and I've seen it in AA. And it never ends up good. So I've never done that. And I've surrounded myself with a support system of sponsors and AA brothers and sisters and meetings, conventions, retreats, that force me on my edge to be rigorously honest about where I'm getting over, where I'm lying to myself. And meditation has been, from that silence of that cell to this day, has been a bedrock. Because after about three or four days in silence, I see things about me in my life or my thinking that I don't do because I'm just too busy during the day so, you know, I've used that through the years, long periods of silence. And I've used the 11th step to go out and have people teach me who've done it more than me. And the same thing with prayer, you know, to teach me the different types of prayer. Now, AA is very radical, in my opinion. AA just says you got a prayer, want, you know, do God's will. I don't get any other prayers like I get the God's will prayers, total surrender. Like, I don't know. I grew up Catholic. I've done. My wife's Jewish. I've, I'm a Buddhist now. I mean, a lot of people got some good prayers. 
AA's like, yes, they do. But all we do is surrender our will and our life over to something great. I'm like, that's a little like intense, like graduate school stuff. Do you know, like, I'm a drunk. I don't even behave. You're, you're like, shouldn't I get like a kindergarten thing to do first? They're like, AA's like this. Nah. Nah, too sick. Don't, nothing, in, too sick. Too, you know, like, and how do we all start? I don't know how we all started, but how I started is like, I just did what you told me to do, right? AA was my higher power. You had better ideas than me. My sponsor did. I just did what you did. And then if I did that, I started creating something internally that we call uncommon sense becomes common sense. I start developing an intuition, a whisper. And if I follow that, all of a sudden, I get faith born out of experience versus just faith that it might work. And that's what this program delivers. If I work it, I get a faith that if I keep doing that, I might, I always live in a mystery. I don't know. My life is nothing like I've planned. I still try to plan my life. Look where I'm at. <laughs> this is not Bali. <laughs> right? On the beach. I'm by the big muddy. You know? And all my 40-something years has been like that. Thank God, because I've gotten way more than I ever would have, way more. Even out of the craziness in my life, I've gotten way more. And you've taught me how to do that. Like, how do I take a defeat and make it failing forward, right? How do I use it, even when I fall short? And uh, how do I develop compassion and love for myself so I can do it for you? I mean, it's a powerful way to be, you know? And I fell in love with it. I I fell in love with, I just felt like, God, doing this thing, you know, I don't know. I was about 30 years sober, and I was like, this is almost like how it was when I was younger. Like, I just do a spiritual technique you taught me, and I instantly change. It's instantly... I didn't think I'd ever get that, you know, but I got it. And I was like, wow, like all of a sudden life wasn't so hard. Now, you guys practice better than me, so you probably feel like that at one year or two, but 30 for me. So I'll go back to getting out of prison. You know, I get out, I go to Oak Street. And, um, you know, now I really feel bad, you know. I'm like, failed at this AA thing. I go to prison. Now I got felony. I'm totally unemployable. But I have one thing. I'm not going back to my old life, nothing. I don't care what I got to do. I'm not doing it. And I'll tell you the grace of AA. A buddy comes in. Well, he became a buddy. And Mike P, he came. And a lot of people know Mike P. And he's down in Fort Lauderdale now. And um, Mike P comes and <laughs> He just looks at me, hey, you just got out of the joint. He's all happy. He screams it. I'm like, shut up, man. I, you know, I, how do you know? He's like, oh, all of us, you know, we put our back to the wall over there in that corner, you know, and dudes over there, we all know they're from the joint. And he was a counselor for, in, uh, you know, for kids. And anyway, long story short, within a few months, he went to another hospital and 
He said, hey, why don't you take my old job? I'll get you an interview. And I didn't want to go on the interview because I like, I have no education. And I'm like, I failed at this thing. So anyway, I go. <laughs> and I get the job. They love me. And the reason they love me, they're like, you're a great example of a horrible alcoholic as a teenager. <laughs> and you're an example of a hor- how horrible it is if you don't work this program. You're perfect for these kids. And all these kids doing time, you went to Leavenworth. I went to Leavenworth. It's probably the worst prison in the country. That's what everybody says. You know, and I'm like, I can't be out in the population too much. So, you know, it hurt my feelings. You, you know, like, I'm really way out here. But that's, you know, they said they'll love it, you know. And so I did it. And I loved it. And from that, even though my job has changed, from that day to this day, really. So I got out five years sober. I was in a little over a year. Not long, just a timeout. I call it a timeout. God gave me a nice timeout to say, dude, man. And it was a great timeout. No people, places, and things to blame. Only me and the silence. Only my fourth column. And it stopped me. And it turned me. It was amazing. I wouldn't be the man I am without that timeout. And then I got a career out of it. And I loved it. And I got lit on fire. And I, 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 I was discovering like what I was at the beginning. I started feeling authentic. And I, I wanted that so badly. To fit in my own skin. To be congruent. To not be all over the place. Um, you know, I went through a phase during that time of being a big book thumper. I apologize, but I did. You know, between that and 10 years sober, I was, you know, because I was so afraid not to do the book. So I'm screaming it, right? But screaming it even more than doing it, you know, kind of changed around my eighth year. I'm screaming it more than I'm doing it, and I'm getting a little, my people I'm screaming it to are getting better than me. And I, I noticed that, and I changed. And that's why I apologize, and that's why I, I'm, you know, I'm not applying these principles in my affairs, I'm just screaming it to you. And if you apply it, you get better and I get worse. So, you know, that's a big lesson, right? Big lesson. You know? But I became productive and I've been helping people. I love it. And I've helped people live and I've helped people die. And I think the beauty of that is AA's given me and God's given me the power to stand there and be there with an open heart, no matter what, where the chips fall. I'm not going anywhere. You've taught me, like, this power is infinite. If I'm hooked up, you can bring anything on. You can bring my sister's death on, my dad's death, deaths of my sponsees. You know, I can have nothing, and I am free. Unbelievable, isn't it? The taste of that. I hope you have tasted that when you're here, and if you haven't yet, just do what other people are doing. Like fast, as hard as you can, and you'll taste it, and you won't go back. It'll grab you. It'll lift you up. Hallelujah. I should have been the Sunday speaker, right? All right. So I'll tell you another thing that's happened to me, which I think happens to people, and I've never talked about it from the podium. 
January 10th, 1990, I had a major spiritual experience in my life. It totally destroyed my AA life. I had a great life by 10 years. You know, I owned, I had a bachelor's in psych, a master's in social work. I had been counseling for a long time. I was super productive. I was married. I had just, you know, I was lit up. I was living in Fort Lauderdale. I got transferred from here from the care unit to down there. And I owned a, a counseling center, Boca Counseling Center. And on that date, January 10th, my son was born, and I had a spiritual experience when I held him in the delivery room. My heat came through me. I just thought it was love. But from that day forward, I was not the same. I had spiritual phenomenon occur in me and around me, and I'll just leave it at that. And But what, what happened is I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't have any experience at that depth, of, uh, and I wasn't looking for it. And I was in, ill-equipped, and I, it forced me to look at, you know, outside places of AA, like an 11-step, other spiritual people who had had this same experience, how did they handle it? And it, it, when I was 10 years sober, I was the type of person that, oh, if other people in the world were just like, like us AA people, like we get it, they don't. I was sickening. I was such an arrogant AA prick. And I was because you gave me my life. And that's the problem when things give you your life. You think they're the only thing. And you become closed-minded. And I was like that because you had given me so much, I just thought everything else was inferior. And I just dripped of AA arrogance. And I say that with a cutting thing because if you're like that, I hope what I just said pierces you through, that you really kind of get it. Because I miss out on all of life. My only life then is within here, and I miss out on the beauty of the world because I say I'm different, but I'm not. And that spiritual path took me to places and things that um, you cheered me to go do, and I got a sponsor at 15 years sober, Clint H., and he took me back through the steps, and it took me about from 10 to 17 years sober to integrate this experience, and Clint was the one who had, and Luther now, they both had spiritual experience through the steps that they could give me very direct, minute, nuanced spiritual practices and discipline that I had only really found kind of in monasteries and other things. And I met my wife, Lisa, and her and these people, she was with in New York were practicing these steps and I was surprised how many of them were lit up because I didn't see people really lit up like that except in kind of cloistered places and they were doing the same thing they were like practicing these steps in a woven way they which is what the book says to weave prayer to you know meditation prayer and I started learning to weave and integrate my practice into a solid um, perseverance Instead of being like, I was a strong meditator, but not a weak prayer, right? And I was, um, I get lost through the day. You know, I had to create a discipline. I used my iPhone. Every hour I would have a little ding on it that had me pause and go, okay, how was this last hour? Do I owe any amends? And I started creating a discipline of pausing and turning my life over through the, the day. I wasn't turning my life over as much. And I really found out with everything going on to me, the only solution was a true surrender to God. And I found out God was a verb, not a noun. That's the experience in AA. 
And I think you have that experience that if I surrender, and that's why our concept of God doesn't matter. If it did, we'd all tell you to have the same concept. It really doesn't matter. What matters is I turn myself over to something and I get an intuition or God, good, orderly direction. I get that through you and then I get that directly. I don't know how it works, why it works. I know every time I follow it, my life's better. And if I don't, my life's worse. And unfortunately, so is yours if you're around me. (laughs) One day sober, 42 years sober, I'm not plugged in, you're fucked, you know. (laughs) No social skills. I mean, I love it. Because here's the thing. It's very clear to me. You either do it and you get to live this life. You either don't, you get to live this life. I choose. That's the only thing I get. And I really choose this because I like being a warm breeze in people's lives. I hate it when people cross the street when I used to walk down the street. I hated it. Because, I, you know, hated it. I hated it when I used to go to meetings and people wouldn't sit by me. You know, I hated it. I didn't want to be like that. And you told me I didn't have to. Right? It's cool. It's really cool. And a fellowship grows up around us, right? And I've lived in many places. And, you know, um, you know, I look at Bonnie, and you know, I love her. You know, she's just, she lives with a grace in her, an elegance, you know. She might be crazy some days, but when she's around me, she's not crazy. She calls her sponsor. So I, I get all the benefit. You know, I don't have to listen to any of that. I just get the good stuff after she applies it. And that's like with a bunch of people here, you know. And, you know, we're a fellowship of the spirit because that's what's interested and that's really what we are, in my opinion. And, um, but I, you know, I got to work this thing, right? A simple kit of spiritual tools will I, our mind sharp and used. And as I grow and change, however that is for me or you, I have to be willing to let a tool go for a while and do a new tool. And I can't get stuck in something that worked. And I didn't know not to blame, oh, I'm doing something wrong. It's like, no, it just doesn't work for you now. You've changed. You've grown. And, you know, I get another tool. You know, but I have to be really careful for myself. I have to get on it. Like, I'll tell you another thing I learned that I practiced for a long time, and, and I, I, I like that I've gotten a hang of it, is I used to get it before I had no intuitions, right? Then I get an intuition on some of them. I get an intuition, and sometimes I wouldn't act on that intuition for months or even a couple of years. That's horrible. I mean, that's very painful. And then my sponsor was tell me, Rick, you want to live this life? Get an intuition. It's all about how quick you do it. And that's where people go right here, right now, right? I get in right here, right now. Right here, right now. And I started practicing that. And my whole life changed. And then all of a sudden, it kind of became this beautiful dance, you know, that you describe from the podium to me. Like, I get an intuition. I'm in the fourth dimension. I'm loving everybody. I'm getting on a little roll. I'm like yummy and happy and You know, it's all working out, and I'm like, this shit is great. This is phenomenal. 
And I can have that every day, one day at a time. Free. Totally free. And for that, and everything you gave me, thank you for my sobriety. Thank you.